Today we are going to talk about the fruit of pride. This is part of a larger series, uh, the series being the problem of pride is what we're talking about. And this is a part of something bigger that we started way last March, and that's walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. If you remember last Sunday when we started this part of the series, The Problem of Pride, we talked about the Greek word for pride, it means to puff up or to inflate, to blow up. And I was going to show you a picture of a bird and... I didn't get that picture to him, and I promised he would be here this week. This is being puffed up. That is, for me, the picture of arrogance, the picture of pride. It, it's crazy because, you know, in, in the animal kingdom, the male's got to strut his stuff and get the attention of the female. It looks to me like uh, this male bird would have a little hard time walking while he's all puffed up. May have a hard time even flying. I don't know how well he would do with eating. He's so busy making sure that he's all puffed up, all arrogant, so people can see, or female birds specifically, can see him. It's interesting for me because I was thinking about that. I know there's many deer hunters out here, but you know that one of the things you like about deer hunting is hunting during the rut when the only thing the male really has on its mind is reproduction because the male deer gets to be very dumb during that time. It is true. Their, their nose is smelling the dough, and that's all. They, they lose sense of anything around. And I think it's kind of funny <clears throat> when you take this picture and all that kind of stuff. That is really a picture of what pride is. Sometimes pride is just you're so focused on what yourself and what you want that you are just clueless to whatever else is going on around you. As we see in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, Paul sees that the immorality that he is talking about here in the church has everything to do with the church's arrogance. He says this, starting with verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 5. I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourself, so arrogant, so puffed up, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. You are so proud of yourself. You, you can't even see what is really going on right in front of you. You can't even see the error of your ways. You are doing something that the world around you says is wrong, and yet your arrogance, your pride, makes you blind. And just a reminder that um, even though we have focused on unity for the first many months as we hit the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul has been talking about pride and arrogance, even in those first four chapters. 
I mean, if we look at chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, listen to these words from Paul. Dear brothers and sisters, I have used Apollos and myself to illustrate what I've been saying. If you pay attention to what I have quoted from the Scriptures, you won't be proud, you won't be arrogant of one of your leaders at the expense of another. For what gives you the right to make such judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? Here, Paul, you know, as we talked about many times over the last couple of months, there was comparison game going on. The people were all arrogant and puffed up about, this is my leader, this is whom I follow, and he's way better than your leader. This arrogance caused them to boast. In chapter 3, verse 21, Paul says, So don't boast about following a particular human leader, for everything belongs to you. The word boast here is different than the word of pride or arrogance. The word boast means to show off verbally, to speak loud, to vaunt yourself. It means to give glory to something. Give glory to someone else. So when you are boasting, you're, you're speaking loudly and giving glory for something or someone so the fruit of arrogance, being puffed up, and pride is giving glory to yourself or to that thing you are boasting about. And Paul has been talking all about these beginning chapters. What should we boast in? God. The cross, Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be boasting in humans. <laughs> I mean, there, there's good pride and good, you know, saying, hey, doing a great job and all that kind of, that's important. But we're talking about this puffed up, get the picture of that bird in your, in your mind again. That's what we're talking about, this puffed up, this arrogance, this giving loud voice to someone or something. This morning, I want to take a few minutes and talk about pride a little more in-depthly as we begin the journey through chapters 5, 6, 7, and on. And I want to do that by asking four questions about the problem of pride. First is, what is the fruit? The second question we're going to talk about is, what does pride come from? Or where does it come from? And third, what does pride do? And fourth, what is the cure? So the first question is, what is the fruit of pride? Well, one of the fruits is deception. Jeremiah 49, 16 says this, You have been deceived by fear, you inspire in others, and by your own pride. You live in a rock fortress and control the mountain heights, but even if you make your nest among the peaks of the, with the eagles, I will bring you crashing down, says the Lord. Pride deceives Pride fogs our vision so we can't see what's going on. And that's what we read in, in uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. The people of Corinth were so, their vision was so foggy because of their arrogance and their, 
you know, speaking about Paul or Cephas or Apollos, that they couldn't see the error of their own ways. So the fruit of pride is deception. Another fruit of pride is a hardened heart. Daniel 5.20 says this, But when his heart and mind were puffed up with arrogance, he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. What, what this is talking about here is, this is the story of King Bel, uh, Belshazzar. If you remember, King Belshazzar had this great feast, and he had a thousand people, and this amazing banquet, and they went and got all of the gold cups and the gold plates from, that they had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. They went and got them, and they ate on those plates, and they were, Belshazzar was bragging about how, you know, Man, am I amazing. And look at us. We have the, the temple in Jerusalem is nothing anymore. We have all the spoils of that. And then, in the midst of that party, there's this giant hand that came and wrote on the wall. And if you remember, none of Belshazzar's people could tell him what was going on. What was this saying? And so finally, uh, Belshazzar's mother basically comes and says, Hey, remember you have Daniel in your backyard. Daniel will tell you what is going on. And Daniel comes and uh, he, of course, tells him what is going on. And he says, your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, you remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? He exalted himself. He said he was God. And then God caused him to become a madman. And he lived in the wilderness for a number of years. God brought him down, stripped him out. So you see, our arrogance and our pride can harden our heart and fog our vision. The other fruit of pride is that we give glory in the wrong person. Chapter 3, verses 4 through 7 in 1 Corinthians says, when one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like the people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed by the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. Verse 7, it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What is important is that God makes the seed grow. When we puff up ourselves or we puff up somebody else or speak and we begin to glorify somebody else, and, and there are times when we glorify somebody so much that we put them in place of God. We may not say, well, they're more important of God, but we put so much stock in who they are and what they can do. That we glorify that person. There's many stories of people in leadership within the church. Who the church glorified the pastor or the speaker 
And we'll talk more about this next week when we talk about the incidents going on in the church. But we, we put a person on such a high pedestal that we don't dare speak negatively about that person. We don't dare call out. In fact, we glorify that person. And it always ends in destruction. Second question I want us to look at is where does pride come from? First place, it comes from the devil. First Timothy 3, 6. Paul is talking to the church here about overseers, and he says a church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. So this, is, this makes sense. If a, if, a new per, if a person becomes a believer and they're a brand new Christian, you don't want to elevate them to a place of key leadership within the church because there's this good chance that they're going to begin thinking they're way better than whatever. This is why we need to take time and, and see people in the day-to-day -day life, see how they function. Are they bringing glory to God or glory to themselves? The devil's desire is to destroy the church. And as we've seen time and time again, how is one way he destroys the church? By people stepping in leadership in a church, they become proud and arrogant, and then they begin to boast in what they do. Pride also comes from the world. 1 John 2.16 says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. When we give glory to our achievements and our possessions over giving glory to God, that gets us in trouble. Again, it's important for us to recognize each other's achievements. That's a healthy thing to do. So we're not saying, don't ever say, great job, let's, let's say great job. But let's also make sure that we're not going, wow, if it wasn't for you, we, we would be nowhere. We need to keep boasting in the Lord. Another place that pride comes from is the heart. Mark 7, 21 through 23 says this, For from within, out of a person's heart, come a whole list of things. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Pride is, it, it comes from in here. It's, again, when we begin to think we're more important than we really are. It's Paul's conversation that we talked about uh, in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians where he talks about the difference between the natural person and the spiritual person. The natural person's focus is on self. And that's all they see. The spiritual person is focused on God. Now, we all can live as spiritual people, if you remember, we talked about that. Why? Because we have the Spirit within us, 
Okay? When you become a follower of Jesus, the Spirit is within you, and this Spirit that is within us searches the mind of God, so now we can have the mind of Christ when we submit to the Spirit working in us. And the Spirit working in you that comes from God will never say, wow, you're amazing. I don't know what I would do without you. The church would fail if it wasn't for you. Thank God I created you. I know that seems like silly talk, but sometimes that's what we do with our actions. And it may not be what we do about ourselves in those actions. It may be what we do as we focus on other people. Wow, that person is amazing. We could never survive if that person left this church. The third question is, what does pride do? Well, pride causes us to fall. Isaiah 14, 13 through 14 says this, For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Isaiah here is talking about Satan, Lucifer, who was one of the archangels, and he's talking about Satan wanting to be God, wanting glory to be put on him. And as we know, what happens is that God took him down, his strive for glory caused him to fall. And we know we talked about this last week in Proverbs, the pride cometh before the fall. But what else does pride do? Pride is sin. Proverbs 21, 4 says, haughty eyes and a proud heart and evil actions are all sin. So we need to call it what it is. Pride, again, puffed up, arrogance, it's sin. Because when I am proud and arrogant, I have taken my eyes off of God, and they're either focused on me or something or someone else. Another thing that pride does, it is part of our natural self, and we kind of talked about this in answer to the other question, but in Romans 1.30, they are backsliders, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent ways, new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. What Paul is talking about here in Romans 1, he's talking about those who have intentionally taken their minds and hearts off of God. They've taken their attention off of God. They have become these things, backstabbers, haters of God, insolent. They've become proud and boastful. It is what happens when we live out of our natural being. This brings us to our last question, and that is, what is the cure? One of the cures is this, boast in the Lord. Verse 31 of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians says this, this for our scripture says, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. It, it, 
It seems simple, but and it is simple. It is boasting in the Lord. It is to show off verbally, speak loud verbally about the Lord. It is to proclaim with your voice and with your actions that God is Lord, that God is over all. It means giving glory to whom glory is due. It is God who has built this church. It is God who has created us. It is God who all things come from. Paul is saying, if you're going to get loud about something, if you're going to get all arrogant and puffed up about something, let's make it God. Let's put our attention there. The second thing that's a cure for pride is love. We touched on this at the end last week just a bit, and we'll hit it more when we get to chapter 13 sometime down the road. But again, compare pride and arrogance to these words from chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. When I love a person, any person, whether I think that person is someone I really love and want to be around or it's somebody that I consider an enemy or I, I don't want to be around, when I love that person the way Jesus loved me, what I'm doing is I'm boasting in the glory of God. Because again, the only way I can love people the way Jesus loved is by me understanding and growing in the love of Jesus. It's by having my attention fixed on God all the way through. It's like, I know this is a tough situation. I have a hard time with this person. But I'm going to focus on God as I interact with this person because... I want to bring glory to God by my life. Love never gives up. Because when I stay in relationship with that hard person, I'm, I'm giving glory to God because God stays in relationship with me. All throughout the story of God... God has never moved 
He's always loved all the way through the story. God has been the same. It's humanity that stops loving God. It's humanity that stops loving each other. So when I, when I never give up, I'm giving glory to God. Love always hopes and endures through every circumstance. Similar. And when I do that, I'm giving glory to God. As you heard from Chris and I talked about, we, we moved and we moved the vast majority of our stuff yesterday. And um, I've talked a couple times about <clears throat> my neighbor in Rockford. And on Friday, um, we were talking in the backyard, my neighbor and I. And I've told you he's, you know, in, in all loving language, he's a piece of work. Um, but, but somewhere, um, God gave Terry and I a heart for him and his family. And he was really, really sad to see Terry and I move. In fact, he said, you know, um, he moved in a couple of years after we moved in. He said, when I found out that you were a pastor, he said, I thought, oh, no. I'm not going to be able to have any fun. But after a couple of visits around the, around the fire pit or in the backyard, after coming around him and his significant other in the midst of crisis, their, their life seems to always be in crisis. And Terry and I are just doing the best we can just to love well after taking opportunities when we had to just pray with them. And I, I told you before, he had a heart condition and how Terry and I, we, in our front yard, we're standing there, we're, we're praying for him. And in the midst of it, it was like, Stop praying about physical healing and pray about his emotional heart. And that's where we went. And there he is in our front yard, bawling. All of that, Terry and I are far from perfect, but all of that relationship with that person gives glory to God. And again, God gave Terry and I the love for these people. So I'm not boasting in us. I'm telling our story. My boasting is in God because uh, I, I like to stay with myself and I'm, I'm a low energy guy. So relationships that take a lot of work, sometimes I just want to walk away from them. Okay, most of the time I want to walk away from them. So I'm boasting in the Lord. One of the songs that we sang this morning says this. Jesus, your love has won me over. We want to win our world over. We need to get this love thing right. And the reason why we need to get this love thing right 
is because when we do it right, God gets all the glory. God gets it. And that's what it's about, people. That's why our mission is impacting people with the love of Jesus on the journey of life. Because God's, Jesus' love won me over. And so when I impact somebody with the love of Jesus, the love of Jesus, then Jesus' love will win them over. And as we're doing that here and in our community, wherever we go, God will be glorified. So we come on Sunday morning and we speak loud the glory of the Lord. We, we do it loud. And then we walk out these doors and we go into our community and through our words and our actions, we speak loud the glory of God. And most of the time, I hope we're speaking loud with our actions by loving the people that we don't want to love because that's the kind of Jesus, love Jesus has. In conclusion today, um, as we continue our journey through 1 Corinthians, I want you to know, because now Paul starts talking about a bunch of different issues that were happening in the church. What we're going to see is one, Paul's desire for the church to live in harmony, to be unified. So all that we talked about, about unity, we're going to see it play out. Second thing, we're going to see Paul calling the church out on their pride and their arrogance. Next week, we're going to talk, as you know, the rest of the beginning of chapter 5 is about a man who was, you know, married to his stepmother and all the pride and arrogance and Paul says these words turn the guy over to Satan so we're going to dive into that a little bit this week around your dinner table talk about ways that you can boast in the Lord I mean, just, just brainstorm a little bit. What would it be like? How can we love on people to boast in the Lord? Who in my sphere of influence needs to be loved on? Teens, you know that person in school. The one that you just have a hard time being around. Some of you are uh, doing school at home. <laughs> Maybe that person is your parent right now, huh? Right? But when we love each other and our family well, we're also giving glory to God. So maybe for some of us, it's just starting with loving people in our home. Parents, those of you who are married, how do you love your spouse really well? How do you give glory to God by just loving your spouse well? What is something you can do this week that shows the love of Jesus to 
your spouse? Or what about that person at work for you? Or maybe you have a neighbor similar to mine. I mean, Terry and I have already started praying about our new neighbors. We're in a townhome now, so we're all packed. We got a bunch right up, right up close. And we're already praying. God, how do we love? Who, who in this neighborhood needs your love? We, Crossroads, as a body, we are going to impact people with the love of Jesus as we're on this crazy journey of life. Amen.